Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 49 of the show. It's been a while since uh, we've had an episode. I think a little over three weeks possibly. A ton of stuff has has gone down and we'll try to get you caught up here uh, in a reasonable amount of time. We got just a ton to get into. A lot of golf happened since the last time. Uh, baseball's been going crazy. Trade deadlines uh, and baseball. Free agency and hockey and basketball have, have opened up. Of course, the NFL, the preseason is underway. Uh, I've had some news there. Just a loaded massive massive around the island segment for you but we are going to start off like we normally do and that's in the pga tour now i'm going to preface this and say i'm not going to do an in-depth recap of every tournament like i normally do uh we've just missed too much golf uh in the last few weeks so i'm not going to do that but i am going to start off in the olympics okay we've also had the olympics go down since since the last episode but um and the men's golf in the olympics it uh was held at the kasuma gaseki country club and that uh, of course is right outside tokyo it was a par 71 distance was 7447 yards now if you watched olympic golf you saw the course was was pretty immaculate it was in great shape um we had uh, about 60 ish golfers participate uh most of the major countries had two golfers per country uh, but the united states had four a lot of that goes based off of the official world golf rankings and because the u.s has so many uh and at towards the top they got uh four representatives but uh, when the tournament was over, your gold medal winner was Xander Shoffley from the United States with a score of 18 under par. Silver medal winner was Rory Sabatini, who was representing Slovakia. Now, he was born in South Africa, but his wife was from Slovakia, so he chose to represent Slovakia. Won them a silver medal, 17 under par, one shot back of Xander. Now, Sabatini was actually the clubhouse leader. Uh, when he he teed off earlier than Shoffley did on Sunday, and Sabatini shot a ten under sixty one on that final round, just ridiculous. Uh, but Xander came out and uh, he was kind of slow to get going, um, then kind of found it in the middle of the round, and then uh, kind of slowed down at the end. Almost cost himself on eighteen. Had a hell of a par. Uh, to, to win the gold medal, but uh, your bronze medal, okay, this was very, very interesting, very cool. 
there was a seven-way tie for third place at 15 under par. Okay, so we had the Xander Shoffley with gold at 18 under par, Rory Sabatini with silver at 17 under par, and then a seven-way tie for third at 15 under par. So we had a seven-man playoff. They were in groups of four and groups of three, and they played uh, the playoff holes. And, um, of course, it took them, uh, I think, I was watching this. Uh, I was actually on uh, on the West Coast, and uh, I was watching it live, the, the, the playoff hole, and it was, it was about 1 a.m., well, between midnight and 1 a.m. Pacific time when this was going down. So it was super late uh, in central time and eastern time zones. But anyways, uh, C.T. Pan was the bronze medal winner. He beat out Colin Morikawa on the last playoff hole uh, to win the bronze medal. Now, Morikawa, that would have been a hell of a way to end the, the year, or at least close the, you know, close the, he's got the FedEx Cup playoffs coming up, but, uh, you know, to, to put a medal on top of what he's already done this year would have been pretty fantastic, but those two guys made it to the final playoff hole, uh, and they beat out Mito Pereira, Sebastian Munoz, Rory McIlroy, Paul Casey, and Hideki Matsuyama, so there were some big heavy hitters in that group that was in the playoff, and, uh, C.T. Pan from uh, Chinese Taipei was the winner of the bronze medal. So, great tournament. Um, they hurried back, though, the golfers did, uh, a lot of the big-name guys, because they had to go to the World Golf Championship FedEx St. Jude Invitational, which was the next weekend. And that was at TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, par 70 distance, 7,233 yards. This one also went to a playoff, okay? Uh, it was it was a pretty good tournament. Obviously, all the WGC events are, are big tournaments, so a lot of big-name players, uh, some some big-name guys that, that hurried back over from uh, Tokyo, of course, Hideki Matsuyama, uh, Abraham Anser, Paul Casey, uh, Joaquin Neiman, you know, Shane Lowry, Colin Morikawa, Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland, a lot of guys, Corey Connors, you know, there was just an absolute ton of guys that rushed back over to the States from Tokyo and uh, to participate in this WGC event. But your winner in this thing was uh, none other, none other than Abraham Anser. It was his first career PGA Tour victory, and I mentioned uh, several podcasts ago, I, I don't know, it was probably at least uh, seven or eight episodes ago, that Abraham Anser was going to win very soon, and uh, here he is. He won a WGC event, and that was decided in a playoff hole over Hideki Matsuyama and Sam Burns. So uh, they all played the 18th hole, they all parted, moved on. Uh, Burns and Matsuyama ended up parring the second playoff hole. Answer birdied, and uh, he's your winner. They finished at 16 under par, but Answer was your winner from the playoff hole. Matsuyama and Burns uh, finished T2, of course, losing the playoff hole. 
Uh, Harris English was at 15 under par. He was he was your leader after uh, the first three rounds, uh, Harris English was, but then just fell apart, went, uh, what is it here? He went three over par on Sunday, Harris English did, uh, just to completely fold. So he ended up fourth. Daniel Berger, Paul Casey, and Cameron Smith all finished at 14 under par, which was good for T5. Now, Smith and Casey had just come back from uh, Tokyo as well, and they played some damn good golf. Uh, Cameron Smith, his second round, he shot an 8-under, 62, and in that, he finished that round with 18 putts. Now, mind you, if you know anything about golf, there's 18 holes. And he, Cameron Smith, finished the round with 18 putts, which means he averaged one putt per hole. And that's just phenomenal. That was actually uh, the lowest amount of putts in any single round in PGA Tour history. So uh, just a complete uh, dominant performance there in that round by Smith. Good enough for a top five finish, uh, even with a, he actually shot two over on Sunday uh, as well. So he didn't play well on Sunday, but he still managed to get a, uh, a top five finish out of it. So we go from that uh, to, well, the Barracuda Championship was playing at the same time the WGC event was, and that's not even worth uh, going over. But this weekend's tournament is the Wyndham Championship, which is held at the Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's a par 70 distance, 7,131 yards. This field is okay. Um, you Going into this weekend, you know, uh, there's some, there is some big name players, uh, but there's also a lot of not so big name players. But this tournament's already started. It's already underway. It's halfway through uh, as we record this portion of it. But uh, so we won't have any picks to click. We'll get to hopefully get back on Rick's picks to click uh, one of these upcoming tournaments here instead of playing catch up. But. Uh, we did cover a lot of golf. We had to, of course. It was the only way to uh, to make sure that we covered all the major golf info that came out over the past couple weeks. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball and do a standings update. It has been, obviously, several weeks since we've done that. And there's been a lot of movement in the MLB Um course the trade deadline passed we'll get into that and around the island but we'll start off in the national league in the nl east the atlanta braves and the philadelphia phillies currently are 60 and 56 both of them are tied for the lead they have a half game lead on the mets at uh, 59 and 56 now the mets had a lead for a while but they uh, they've only won four times in their last 10 games so They've been on a little bit of a slide, whereas Atlanta has won eight out of their last ten. Phillies won seven out of their last ten. So uh, that division, I predicted in the beginning of the year that it was going to be the most competitive division in baseball, and that is certainly looking like it is going to be the case. Um, the Washington Nationals are 50-66. and 66. They're ten games back of Atlanta and Philly and nine and a half games back of the Mets. And uh, you can probably write them off. Well, actually, you can write them off because they traded uh, their three of their best players 
at the trade deadline. But uh, Miami Marlins, 49-67. and 67. Uh, They've been out of it pretty much all season. National League Central, the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they are taking charge of the NL Central. They have a seven and a half game lead. Well, they're they're seventy and forty six. They have a seven and a half game lead on the Cincinnati Reds, who are at sixty three and fifty four. And the uh, St. Louis Cardinals are fifty nine and fifty six. Uh, three games back of the Reds, ten and a half games back of the Brewers. You can probably write off the Cardinals at this point. Uh, I just don't see them being able to catch the Brewers. And the Chicago Cubs are 52 and 66. They have a losing streak of nine games currently, the Cubs do. Just absolutely atrocious. They are not. Uh, they they made a they had a fire sale at the deadline. We'll get into that again and around the island. Just the Cubs are a complete disaster right now. Um, nine games in a row they've lost, and uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates are forty one and seventy four. They're right there with the Cubs. They've lost eight games in a row. They're just uh, they've been out of it for a while. Now, in the National League West, this has been another competitive. Uh, division. Okay, uh, three teams possibly could make the playoffs in this division. National League West leaders currently are the San Francisco Giants at 75 and 41. They have the best record in Major League Baseball. They are five games up on the Los Angeles Dodgers. Okay, the, the Giants, San Francisco Giants, they've won eight out of their last 10, six in a row. They're playing really good baseball. They're, they're looking every bit as legit. Uh, as they have all season. Uh, the Dodgers and um, the Dodgers are at 70 and 46, like I said, uh, five games back of the Giants. Then the San Diego Padres are 66 and 52. They're 10 games back uh, of the Giants, five games back of the Dodgers. They're looking for a wild card at best, probably the Padres. Uh, they're on a three game skid currently. And then the two teams that have been out of it all year, the Colorado Rockies at 51 and 65, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks at 37 and 80. Uh, So they, again, all of them have been out for a long, long time. But move over to the American League, and there's a lot of uh, news to go along with the standings update here in the American League. In the American League East, the Tampa Bay Rays, they have been playing some dang good baseball uh, over the last, really, month. They made a huge acquisition just before the deadline to add another very good bat to their lineup. They're 71-45. and 45. Five-game lead on the Boston Red Sox, who are at 67-51. and 51. The New York Yankees are at 63-52. and 52. Two and a half games back of the Red Sox, seven and a half back of the Rays. So it looks like the Yankees... Uh, are probably wild card at best, uh, but they did make two uh, huge trade deadline acquisitions. Again, we'll get into that shortly. The Toronto Blue Jays, they're sixty-two and fifty-three. They are eight and a half games back of the Rays, uh, one game back of the Yankees for that uh, that third place spot in the AL East. 
They're uh, they're looking good. Their lineup's coming into form. They were very busy at the deadline, requiring some pitchers. And uh, the Baltimore Orioles, of course, as we know, they've been out of it all year. They're 38-76. and 76. Uh, They do have the uh, second-worst record in all of baseball. In the American League Central, the Chicago White Sox, they... Well, let me back up for a minute. The Yankees, I talked about them just a minute ago. They had a game this past week in which they became the first team in the modern era, which is since 1900, to with five save opportunities in one They had five save opportunities in a single game, okay? And they also became the first team to blow four saves in a single game. So they had five save opportunities. They blew four of them in the same game. First team ever to do that. Now, the Chicago White Sox, they lead the AL Central at 68-48. and 48. They have an 11-game lead on the Cleveland Indians, who are at 56-58. and 58. Now, with the White Sox, uh, they have a young player by the name of Sebi Zavala. And he became the only player in Major League Baseball history to hit his first three home runs all in the same game. He had a three-home run game. Now, I mentioned the Yankees and the White Sox back-to-back because those two played this past week in the Field of Dreams game, okay, which uh, was absolutely just stunning to watch, okay. It was uh, was played in Dyersville, Iowa, right next to the actual field where the uh, Field of Dreams movie was filmed, okay, and just uh, an unbelievable scene cornfield the middle of a cornfield uh there were eight home runs uh it game came down to the to the wire uh the white Sox took a 7-4 lead into the ninth inning uh, all-star closer liam hendricks gave up two two-run homers one to aaron judge one to john carlos stanton they put the yankees up eight to seven and then in the bottom of the ninth Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson had a walk-off two-run home run and uh, just uh, ended the game there. Was a fantastic finish to a fantastic game. And with that, the the game itself, the Field of Dreams game, was the most-watched regular season baseball game in the last 16 years. Okay, so uh, that had a ton of viewers. Uh, just what an unbelievable scene! If you haven't seen the highlights, go check it out. Uh, seriously, because it is uh, it is something special. So I told you the White Sox are eleven games up on the Indians. The Detroit Tigers are third in the AL Central at fifty-seven and sixty-one. Minnesota Twins fifty and sixty-six. Kansas City Royals forty-nine and sixty-five. Now with the Royals, they became the first team in the modern era to erase a deficit. In the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth innings of the same game, uh, so they ended up winning a game after trailing in the last on the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth innings. So it's the first time that's ever been done. Uh, but in the American League West, the um, Oakland, well, I'm sorry, the Houston Astros are 69-46. and They're on a three-game winning streak. They have a two-and-a-half game lead on the Oakland A's. We're at 67-49. and Now, Oakland took a big hit 
when their starting outfielder Ramon Laureano got suspended for 80 games for violating the Major League Baseball performance-enhancing drug policy. So he's gone uh, well into next season as well, Laureano is. Third place in the AL West, the Seattle Mariners, 62-55. and 55. Eight games back of Houston, uh, five and a half back of the A's. I think the best the Mariners can do at this point is a wild card, uh, but they are right in the mix of it. They've won three in a row with the Mariners. Pitcher Hector Santiago. If you recall, about a month ago, he was the first pitcher suspended. Well, I think the only pitcher suspended up to this point for the illegal substance on his pitching glove. Uh, now, this past a week or a couple weeks ago, he got suspended for 80 games for a positive PED test as well. So he got suspended for 10 games for the illegal substance and then immediately comes back and is suspended for 80 games for performance-enhancing drugs. So he's off to a, a rough rest of the year for sure. Uh, but the Mariners are still right in the thick of the uh, wild card. The fourth-place team in the AOS, the Los Angeles Angels, they're 58-59, and 59, and uh, they're uh, 12 games back of the Astros, uh, eight or nine and a half games back of the uh, A's and uh, four games back of the Mariners. So it's safe to assume at this point that the Angels are probably not making the playoffs, although they do have the American League MVP odds-on favorite and Shohei Otani. They did get some bad news, though, this week when it was announced, uh, or I guess it's been a couple weeks, that uh, third baseman Anthony Rendon, he's undergoing hip surgery. He's going to miss the remainder of the season. Uh, he was having a terrible, just putrid year. So they're not missing much there with him being gone. But uh, nonetheless, he is gone. Uh, and then the last place team in the American League West, the Texas Rangers at 41-75. and 75. And they are just um, horrible to watch. Uh, it's one out of every 10 games is decent baseball for them and then uh, then they just get pummeled their pitching hasn't been good they traded away all their decent players at the deadline and um, yeah so it's it's a rough scene here in Arlington uh, for for some Texas Rangers baseball uh, but real quickly we'll touch on this uh, the NFL has officially started the preseason of course training camps are still going on uh, in between the preseason games but uh, preseason has officially started. It was kicked off with the annual Hall of Fame game. That was between the Pittsburgh Steelers and my Dallas Cowboys. And Pittsburgh ended up winning 16-3. Uh, the game was a total snooze fest, very sloppy. Um, but it was uh, it was just good to have football back. And uh, since then, obviously, we've had uh, some more uh, preseason games take place. Uh, this week, preseason week one, we had some... Uh, Thursday night this past week, New England beat Washington 22-13. Mac Jones looked pretty good in that one, first-round pick for the Patriots. Steelers beat the Eagles 24-16. Dwayne Haskins, second, third string for Pittsburgh, actually looked pretty decent in that one. Uh, On Friday night, we had three games, Buffalo Bills and the Detroit Lions. The Bills won 16-15. The Tennessee Titans beat the Atlanta Falcons 23-3, and the 
Arizona Cardinals beat my Dallas Cowboys on a last second field goal, 19 to 16. And uh, this, this I found this very interesting. There's a lot of games uh, Saturday, August 14th. A lot of NFL preseason games. Most of the, just about all the rest of the teams play, uh, and one of them is the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, now the Ravens are going to host the Saints on Saturday night, which is going to provide a chance for the Baltimore Ravens to continue uh, one of the more impressive and, I guess, meaningless streaks. So the Ravens have won 17 straight preseason games, and they have not lost one since 2015, which is the longest preseason winning streak by any team in the past 25 years. Uh, now, of course, they have not won, um, well, they've been a solid team the last handful of years that this streak has been going on, uh, but they have not won a Super Bowl uh, in that time frame. But nonetheless, uh, they are still a good team. Uh, Lamar Jackson looks to rebound on that, but I just thought that stat was interesting. But, uh, yeah, I'm super excited. You know, everybody... You know, we're, we all love the NFL. Fantasy football's getting ready to kick off. Uh, I have a draft uh, in about a week, and then uh, another draft in about uh, a week after that. So uh, it's going to be an exciting time, of course. Uh, football ramping up. This is what we've been waiting for. And uh, we're just looking forward to, um, you know, seeing football on a 17-game schedule this year, remind you, that uh, – NFL regular season schedule has the, all the teams playing 17 regular season games instead of uh, 16, as it always has been. So we'll definitely look forward to that. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island, and that is where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. And this is probably the most jam-packed Around the Island segment that we have ever featured. There is an absolute ton to get into. We'll start off in the National Football League. Major injury news. Uh, we got training camps going on. Uh, preseason has already started. It's in, uh, of course, last week the Cowboys and the Steelers played like we talked about. And uh, the actual first full week of the NFL preseason, week one, starts this week. But some major injury news out of Indianapolis. The Colts announced that quarterback Carson Wentz suffered a foot injury and it required surgery. He's already had the procedure time frame for him to return is five to 12 weeks which of course um, the low end would have him back right around the start of the season the high end would force him to miss you know roughly half the season or more and just days after that was announced it was uh, announced that pro bowl uh, all pro guard off uh, offensive guard quentin nelson he suffered a, a an injury the basically the exact same foot injury to carson wentz he had surgery his time frame for recovery is the same five to 12 weeks. Uh, but it's been reported since that both are expected to uh, be on the field. Uh, they're on track to play in the opening week of the season. So it looks like both are doing really well in their recovery. Interesting to keep an eye on that because if they lose their quarterback and their best offensive lineman, then the Colts... They have the toughest schedule in football. Their first five games are against teams that won 10 or more games last season, uh, which is the first time since the 90s that that's happened, uh, where a team has had to play uh, 
that many 10-win teams to start the season. So they need both of them desperately. But the good news from the Colts is that they did agree to a five-year, $98.5 million contract extension with their Pro Bowl linebacker, Darius Leonard. Of course, he was a third-round pick a few years ago, made a couple Pro Bowls, and that contract makes him the highest-paid linebacker in the league, officially passing the 49ers linebacker Fred Warner, who just signed an extension that we talked about uh, on last episode. But some other news, uh, the New Orleans Saints and Caesars Entertainment, they announced a 20-year exclusive naming rights partnership that rebrands the New Orleans downtown stadium as the Caesars Superdome. So the infamous Superdome that the Saints play at will now be known as the Caesars Superdome for the next 20 years. Don't want to know what the price tag on that, but of course, Caesars Entertainment, that is, uh, you know, gambling capital of the world in Vegas. And uh, so they probably have the money to shell out on that. But a couple of big contract extensions to note. Buffalo Bills, they signed their Pro Bowl quarterback, Josh Allen, to a six-year, $258 million contract extension, which includes $150 million in guaranteed money, which is the most guaranteed money in NFL history, even more guaranteed money than Patrick Mahomes and his $500 million deal. But the Cleveland Browns, they have re-signed their starting running back, Nick Chubb, to a three-year, $36.6 million extension that includes $20 million guaranteed. He's been a good, solid running back first few years of his career, and uh, I expect nothing but that to continue moving forward. Now, we do have an update from the Green Bay Packers slash Aaron Rodgers saga that we've talked about in the last several episodes. This has seemingly come to an end. Aaron Rodgers uh, and the Green Bay Packers, over the last couple weeks, they worked out a deal that restructured uh, Aaron Rodgers' contract Packers threw in multiple concessions in order to get Rodgers to show up to training camp and play this season. And so this agreement basically makes Aaron Rodgers' contract, which was good for the next three seasons, including this one, uh, void after this year. So Aaron Rodgers will be a free agent after this 2021 season. Now the concession is also that Rodgers requested that the team go out and trade for Randall Cobb, wide receiver that was uh, part of one of their you know competitive teams in past few years and so that's what they did the Packers went out and they got uh, Randall Cobb from the Houston Texans and they made him happy so once that was done Rodgers did show up at training camp he was participating right away Uh, he's been participating it is not likely that he plays in the preseason per what the Packers are saying Uh, however Green Bay has appeared to avoid a complete catastrophe for this season and you got to think that Rodgers is moving on, uh, will not be on the Packers next year, but Jordan Love will have sat behind Rodgers. This, this is uh, his third, third season that he'll sit behind Rodgers, which should be plenty of enough reason for him to, um, you know, uh, be ready to start next season. But the other good news from this is that the Packers have also received approval from Devontae Adams to reignite their contract negotiations with him. He's playing in his final season on his deal. Now, I would fully suspect that he's not going to sign a contract that's longer than a year with the Packers. I think he will probably end up where Rodgers ends up, but hang on to your hats for that. 
Uh, some other NFL news. Former Heisman Trophy winner and Pro Bowl quarterback Robert Griffin III. He stepping away from football. He has signed a multi-year contract to join ESPN as both a college football and an NFL analyst. So he is moving from the field to the broadcast booth, if we have seen uh, other players do here lately. Um, I like RG3. He's a great dude. Uh, injuries kind of wrecked him last several years of his career, but uh, be interesting to hear what he's got to say uh, in the broadcast booth as an analyst. Now, there's two different lists, some, some other NFL news. It's two different lists that I came across. The first one is a Forbes list of the highest-valued NFL franchises, the top 10, okay? Top 10 NFL franchises and value uh, via Forbes, Okay, number ten, the Denver Broncos at three point seven five billion. Number nine, the Philadelphia Eagles three point eight billion. Number eight, the New York Jets at four point zero five billion. Number seven, the Chicago Bears at four point zero seven five billion. Number six, the San Francisco 49ers at four point one seven five billion. Number five, the Washington Football Team at four point two billion. Number four, the Los Angeles Rams at $4.8 billion. Number three, the New York Giants at $4.85 billion. Number two, the New England Patriots at $5 billion. And the number one team in the NFL via Forbes in terms of total value are my Dallas Cowboys at $6.5 billion. Now, I'm not surprised at that. Uh, and I probably would have guessed at least six out of those 10 teams. Um, I would not have guessed the Jets, the Washington football team, the Broncos, uh, and probably the Giants. I I don't know. I would have gotten at least half of those if I had a blind guess, but uh, interesting to see that list. Now, the other list in the NFL deals with Madden 22 and the video game, right? EA Sports Madden 22 They've released their overall team ratings. Of course, the video game is set to be released here uh, in the next uh, 10 days or so. Just to kind of highlight some teams, their overall ratings. The top team is Tampa Bay Buccaneers with an overall rating of 92, which is really high. The Chiefs are right behind them at 90. Green Bay Packers at 89. Baltimore Ravens, 88. Cleveland Browns, 87. Buffalo Bills, 86. Dallas Cowboys, 86. Arizona Cardinals, 85. Tennessee Titans, 85. Rounding out the top 10, the Los Angeles Rams at an 84. They're tied with the Chargers and the Saints at an 84 as well. Some other notable teams, the 49ers and the Patriots, 83 overall. Seattle Seahawks, 82. Uh, Chicago Bears, Uh, Well, Pittsburgh Steelers are at 80, Chicago Bears 79, Philadelphia Eagles 76, and the lowest-rated team in Madden this year is the New York Jets at a 72. Um, You can see the whole list online, uh, or if you buy the video game and play it, you'll be able to see it here in the next 10 days, so I won't read off all 32 teams, but uh, you get the gist. Um, Buccaneers and the Chiefs are the top two teams in the game, which... Is only fitting because they were the top two teams in the league this past year. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League. And free agency has officially begun uh, in the NHL. 
There's been some big signings and some big trades that we'll go over real quick. The biggest trade, most noteworthy trade, I guess, is between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Vegas Golden Knights. The Blackhawks acquired goalie Marc-Andre Fleury, who's fresh off of his Vesna Trophy-winning performance, uh, in exchange for Mikhail Hakarian, or Haka Orion. I don't know, Finnish name. Don't know how to say it. Now, Marc-Andre Fleury, once this trade was made, he did not request this trade, but once this trade was made, he said that he was not going to play for the Blackhawks, and he was pretty upset at the trade. Well, he has since... Uh, recanted that statement and said that he will play for the Blackhawks, which will be interesting because they uh, made a couple of other trades. Chicago acquired two-time Stanley Cup champion Tyler Johnson in a second-round pick uh, in the 2021 draft from the Tampa Bay Lightning in exchange for Brent Seabrook. So they added uh, Vesna Trophy-winning goalie and a two-time Stanley Cup champion up front. Chicago wasn't done there. They also... Uh, acquired a third-round pick in exchange for Nikita Zadorov that they sent to the Calgary Flames. Good defenseman. Uh, Personally, I think he'd be worth more than a third, but it is what it is. Now, Chicago did also pull off uh, one of the uh, bigger free agent signings, or trades, I guess. I don't know if it was a trade or free agent, but they got Seth Jones, the defenseman from uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, which... You know, you add that, Seth Jones on the point, Tyler Johnson up front, Marc-Andre Fleury in net, and uh, they're looking pretty pretty good uh, this season. You know, um, Blackhawks have kind of struggled here these last couple years. Uh, they're going to get Jonathan Taves, their captain, back. He had missed all of last year with a medical condition. He's been cleared to play. So uh, the Hawks are going to be a good team this year, which I'm not a fan of the Blackhawks, but... Uh, They're in the Central Division with the Stars, so I cannot root for the Blackhawks, but it's good to see that they are, uh, you know, going to be competitive again as one of the original six teams in the league. Uh, The Vegas Golden Knights. They acquired forward Afghani Dadunov from the Ottawa Senators. Um, The Colorado Avalanche got a new goalie. Of course, Philip Grubauer signed a deal with the Seattle Kraken, which... That in and of itself, uh, that was a six-year, $35.4 million contract that the Kraken gave Grubauer to be their new franchise goalie. This contract was originally rejected by the NHL due to how much money Grubauer was set to make on the front end of the deal, and it didn't comply with the salary cap standards, so the contract was reworked, resubmitted, and it was approved. So Grubauer is officially a member of the Kraken, which forced Colorado to go out and get a goalie, which is why they traded for Arizona's goalie, Darcy Kemper, all right, in exchange for a first-round pick and uh, defenseman Connor Timmons. So the Avs have a new face in net now. It's Darcy Kemper. Uh, The Buffalo Sabres, fresh off their top overall pick uh, in the NHL draft, Owen Power. Uh, uh, Sabres have acquired defenseman Will Butcher, Uh, and a fifth-round pick from the New Jersey Devils in exchange for future considerations. Now, the Winnipeg Jets, they went out and acquired defenseman Brendan Dillon from the Washington Capitals in exchange for a pair of second-round picks. The Avalanche, we just talked about them. uh, Their captain, Gabriel Landeskog, was a free agent, and there was talks that he was not going to re-sign. But he ended up re-signing with 
the Avalanche on an eight-year, $56 million contract, which is a $7 million average annual value. Now, that's that's pretty solid. Um, he probably probably could, could have gotten more elsewhere, but I think he wanted to stay in Colorado and compete for a Stanley Cup. The Washington Capitals also had an issue with their captain being a free agent. That would be Alex Ovechkin. I think you've heard of him. They were able to rework a five-year, $47.5 million contract extension, which is a $9.5 million average annual value. Ovechkin's obviously one of the best players in the league, has been for a decade. And the weird thing about this contract was that Ovechkin actually negotiated this contract by himself without the help of an agent. So pretty interesting news there. Uh, The Columbus Blue Jackets... They have been making moves left and right as well. They re-signed, now they got rid of Seth Jones, right, to the Blackhawks, but they did re-sign their other good young defenseman, Zach Wierenski, to a six-year, $57.5 million contract extension. That's nine and a half per year. So they kept him as part of their core moving forward. And uh, Philadelphia, the Flyers, they have just revamped their entire defensive core Okay, they already went out. They they traded for Ryan Ellis and Rasmus Ristolainen, spent a lot of draft capital to get both of them. They added veteran defenseman Keith Yandel on a one-year $900,000 contract. So the Flyers are making moves as well. They also re-signed Carter Hart to a three-year contract extension there. So the Flyers were just on the cusp of making the playoffs this year after uh, – doing pretty well in the bubble last year, but uh, the Flyers look to be uh, making some moves, and and they look to be uh, a solid team here uh, heading into this season, but uh, we'll move over to Major League Baseball. The trade deadline in Major League Baseball has passed since uh, our last episode, and uh, we'll highlight some of the major trades. The biggest one was between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Washington Nationals. Uh, The Dodgers acquired Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, Cy Young winning pitcher and an all-star shortstop from the Nationals in exchange for four of the Dodgers' top prospects. That just, that's an unfair, like, I don't know how the Dodgers keep doing this. Like, their lineup was already loaded. They're coming off a World Series. Now, Trevor Bauer... One of their ace pitchers has not been in the lineup for about a month due to his legal issues that he's dealing with. But they go out and they get, oh, you know, another Cy Young pitcher to fill his spot. The Dodgers are winning the World Series. There's absolutely no way that they're losing four times in seven games in a playoff series with that lineup. Corey Seager just came back from the injured list. They're they're, uh, World Series MVP shortstop. So now they... They have a full lineup. The Dodgers are just ridiculous. Uh, The Yankees, of course, they always are known to make a big splash. They went out and acquired outfielder Joey Gallo from the Texas Rangers, as well as first baseman Anthony Rizzo from the Chicago Cubs. Both great signings. Rizzo has had a little more success so far in his first couple weeks as a a Yankee than Gallo has. Uh, Rizzo actually homered in his first game which follows the theme here of these next two acquisitions. Uh, The New York Mets, they went out and acquired shortstop Javier Baez from the Chicago Cubs. Baez homered in his first game as a Met. 
the San Francisco Giants acquired uh, Chris Bryant from the Chicago Cubs, and Bryant homered in his first game as a Giant. So the Cubs just absolutely unloaded because they also traded their closer, all-star closer, Craig Kimbrell, to the Chicago White Sox, just right up the road, goes from the Cubs to the White Sox. So the Cubs unloaded Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, and Kimbrell at the deadline. Uh, Talk about a complete fire sale. Uh, The Cubs have officially become unwatchable. Uh, Now, I'm not a Cubs fan, uh, never have been, don't watch them, but if you're a Cubs fan, that has got to be a kick in the nads because your four best players are now gone. Um, the San Diego Padres, they went out, they, they're right in the thick of the NL West, like we talked about. They went out and acquired all-star second baseman slash outfielder Adam Frazier from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, at the time of the trade, Adam Frazier led the majors in hits. So he's a good contact hitter, high batting average, a good solid addition to the lineup that is expected to get uh, Fernando Tatis back here in the next week or so. The Oakland A's, they acquired outfielder Starling Marte from the Miami Marlins in exchange for uh, young pitcher Jesus Lazardo. Uh, Lazardo was having a rough year in Oakland. He got sent down to the minors, uh, but Miami called him up. and He's made two, two pitching appearances thus far for the Marlins. Uh, I think that was a good trade. Marte is a little older. Uh, Lazardo still young, and he adds to another uh, to a good young pitching core in Miami that uh, is going to make them pretty solid here in the next few years. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers they went out and acquired uh, third baseman Eduardo Escobar from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Good acquisition for them. The Brewers are are right, obviously, in the playoff mix as well, and uh, Escobar is a good solid third baseman can also play first base uh the toronto blue jays they were very busy at the deadline they went out they acquired minnesota twins ace jose uh, barrios starting pitcher from the twins right like just take the twins best pitcher uh he won his first start with the blue jays they also acquired uh relief pitchers Brad Hand from the Nationals and Joaquin Soria from the Arizona Diamondbacks. So Blue Jays beefed up on their pitch. Their lineup is phenomenal. I think the Blue Jays have one of the best offensive lineups in the league. Um, It's not not quite at the level of the Dodgers. Uh, The Yankees are right up there as well with their acquisitions, but I think the Blue Jays uh, have a top five lineup batting order in the league. And so they went out they got an ace pitcher in, in Barrios and two solid closers in Hand and Soria. So the Blue Jays are making a run for the playoffs. Boston Red Sox, they couldn't be quiet at the deadline, of course, with the Yankees making deals. So they went out and they acquired first baseman Kyle Schwarber from the Washington Nationals. Again, talk about a fire sale with the Cubs. The Nationals are doing the same thing. They got rid of Scherzer, Turner, uh, Schwarber, and Brad Hand. So they have uh, officially given up on this season as well. Now, a weird situation developed with the New York Mets, okay? Their first-round pick from the draft last month was uh, uh, starting pitcher Kumar Rocker from Vanderbilt. Rocker was the 10th overall pick just a few weeks ago, right? And apparently, he could not pass a physical exam. So the Mets decided not to to sign him to a contract by the deadline. So, because of that, the Mets 
have been awarded the 11th pick in the 2022 MLB draft as compensation for not signing their top 10 pick from this draft, which I don't know how that makes sense, but that's just the way MLB does it, and that's just very strange. Um, you know, I get he had medical issues, but did you did your team not do research on that before drafting him? Uh, it's not like this injury popped up since the draft. You know, he probably hasn't pitched a whole lot since the draft. So uh, I don't know what the deal is with that. But uh, Kumar Rocker, uh, on the other hand, he is going to forego returning to Vanderbilt for another year and go work out on his own and prepare for the 2022 MLB draft, which again, not the greatest idea. Uh, I would think that you would need to uh, play and prove yourself, I guess, even more after failing that physical, uh, prove the doubters wrong, but he's going to work out on his own, and uh, there's a chance that he could get drafted later than he did, um, you know, first l- lower in the first round or possibly the second round next year's draft, especially without playing this year, so keep an eye on that. But the final piece of MLB news deals with the 2022 All-Star Game. The league announced that the uh, Midsummer Classic next year is going to be held in Los Angeles, California at Dodger Stadium. Game's going to be July 19th, 2022. So uh, some big, big news there out of baseball. And um, move on now to the National Basketball Association. Of course, the NBA, they held their annual draft uh, a couple weeks ago. And... Uh, I'm just going to read the top 10 picks because you can find the rest of it online. First overall pick was the Detroit Pistons. They took Cade Cunningham. Second overall pick, Houston Rockets took Jalen Green. Third pick, Cleveland Cavaliers took Evan Mobley. Fourth pick, Toronto Raptors took Scotty Barnes. Fifth pick, Orlando Magic. They took Jalen Suggs. Sixth pick, Oklahoma City Thunder. They took Josh Giddy. Seventh pick, Golden State Warriors. They took Jonathan Kaminga. Eighth pick was the Orlando Magic. Again, two top eight picks. They took Franz Wagner for with this pick. So they have Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner. Great draft for the Magic. Ninth pick, Sacramento Kings took Davion Mitchell. And the tenth pick, New Orleans Pelicans. They selected Zaire Williams, but traded his rights to the Memphis Grizzlies. So... Draft frenzy is uh, officially done, but free agent frenzy has begun, and there's been some major uh, sign-in trades and some free agent signings that have already taken place. The biggest trade was between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Washington Wizards. The Lakers acquired Russell Westbrook in exchange for Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and the 22nd pick in the NBA draft that just passed which they ended up trading to the Pacers. But uh, this gives the Lakers a big three of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. That is the best trio in the league, uh, right up there with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, You want an early finals prediction? Give me the Lakers and the Nets next year in the finals. But the other big trade that went down was between the Memphis Grizzlies and the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans acquired big man Jonas Valanciunas uh, and a first and a second round pick from Memphis 
in exchange for Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and a first and second round pick of their own. They basically swapped first round picks and got an extra first round pick. Uh, some other big sign and trades that went down this past week dealt with the Chicago Bulls. They were very busy. The Bulls acquired Lonzo Ball on a four-year, $85 million deal. And they also acquired DeMar DeRozan. And so that gives the Bulls a big three of Zach Levine, Lonzo Ball, and DeMar DeRozan. Now, it's not quite on the level of the Lakers or the Nets' big three, um, but all three of those players are very good. And uh, that that makes the, the Chicago Bulls a contender uh, in the Eastern Conference, I do believe, at least for sure a playoff team this year. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, he agreed. He was a member of the L.A. Lakers this past year. He agreed to a one-year, $5.9 million deal with the Boston Celtics. So Celtics add a great bench player in Dennis Schroeder. Now, the biggest news out of the NBA, there were, let's see, three, four, five, six, seven major contract extensions that were announced over the past few weeks. The first one is the Atlanta Hawks guard Trey Young. He agreed to a five-year, $207 million designated rookie contract extension with the Hawks. And to follow suit, Dallas Mavericks, uh, all-world player Luka Doncic, he agreed to that same five-year, $207 million Supermax rookie extension. Of course, you remember they were drafted, uh, the Hawks and the Nets. The Hawks actually drafted Doncic, traded him to the Mavs for Trey Young, and a first-round pick. So that was agreed upon uh, on draft night. But those two went uh, in the top five together, and uh, they'll forever be linked together. They both signed matching contracts. Both great, amazing young players in this league. Of course, you saw what Luka Doncic did in the Olympics with uh, his country, Slovenia. But uh, Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry. Everybody knows who Steph Curry is. He agreed to a four-year, $215 million contract extension with the Warriors. Now, this makes Steph Curry the first player in NBA history to sign two $200 million contracts. And this contract is going to extend his current contract, uh, a $45.8 million salary for the upcoming 2021-2022 season, which means that Steph Curry is now guaranteed $261 million over the next five years. That's just simply outrageous. And that doesn't even count all, that doesn't count all his endorsement deals that he's got. So Steph Curry is a rich, rich man. And uh, if he could just spare me a million dollars, no complaints there. Uh, Brooklyn Nets, Olympic hero Kevin Durant. Uh, signed a four-year, $198 million contract extension with the with the Nets. Keep him in Brooklyn. Uh, Miami Heat, they signed Jimmy Butler to a four-year, $184 million extension. The New York Knicks signed all-star Julius Randle, coming off of a career year, to a four-year, $117 million extension. And then the Atlanta Hawks, as if their $207 million they spent on Trey Young wasn't enough, they went out and they re-signed John Collins to a five-year, $125 million extension. He's a good young piece to that team, key part of it, and uh, they're paying him as such. So 
between Trey Young and John Collins, the Nets handed uh, $332 million to those two guys. So we'll see how that works out. But we'll move over to the NCAA and college football and some major, major news out of the NCAA. And I talked about this on last episode regarding Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 and joining the SEC. Well, since we've last had an episode, both universities officially requested invitations to join the SEC, and the SEC voted it unanimously by a vote of 14 to 0. So, Texas and Oklahoma are officially going to be joining the SEC. It's currently set to be effective starting with the 2025 season. However, I would be absolutely shocked if it didn't happen starting with the 2022 season. There's just too much money at stake for both universities and the SEC as a conference. So uh, I think Texas and OU will end up buying out their remaining media contracts, etc. with the Big 12. And I fully expect Texas and Oklahoma to be in the SEC starting next year in 2022. But that's huge. Um, uh, I talked about that last week. I, I'm not necessarily a huge proponent uh, simply because I don't want Texas to play Alabama and LSU and Georgia and Florida on a yearly basis, but that seems to be what is going to happen. So it'll be great for recruiting for all sports for Texas, uh, specifically football, but I think it, it'll benefit them in the long run for sure. But some other big news out of the NCAA actually deals with high school football slash college football. The number one overall recruit in college football for the 2022 recruiting cycle is Quinn Ewers. He is the quarterback at South Lake Carroll High School here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, South Lake, Texas. He announced that he is actually graduating high school early, foregoing his senior year, and enrolling early at Ohio State, where he's been committed, to be a part of the 2021 recruiting cycle, which is this year. So Quinn Ewers said, I'm not doing my senior year this year. I'm going up to Ohio State. And the reason for that is because of the NCAA's ruling on the national uh, or the, the name, image, and likeness bill that was passed where athletes can profit off of their, their name, image, and likeness. So Quinn Ewers said, you know what? I'm going to go to college now, get an endorsement deal or two, and make him, you know, a million dollars or more just in endorsements before I even see the field uh, or the NFL for that matter. So uh, I, you know, I see this becoming a trend with other high profile high school athletes uh, skipping their senior year and going to college early. Uh, it's, you know, I don't have an issue with what he's doing, uh, Quinn Ewers, that is. Uh, he's definitely setting a trend, uh, I believe, but. Um, he was he was going to go to Ohio State either way. Uh, he has nothing left to prove in high school football. He's the top-ranked recruit. And so why not go uh, redshirt for a year at Ohio State, uh, get your fifth year of eligibility, and uh, make a lot of money in the process? I don't see a problem with that. If I was as good as he was at that sport, or any sport for that matter, uh, I probably would have done the same thing. But... Uh, some other NCAA news. Uh, the NCAA came out and announced uh, over the past couple weeks that 
the 2005 Heisman Trophy that was originally won by Reggie Bush is not going to be returned to Reggie Bush, despite the recent changes to the name, image, and likeness policy. Now, if you recall, in short, uh, Reggie Bush won the Heisman in 05, no doubt about it, but it was vacated because he had been, uh, after winning it, several years after the fact, it was discovered that there may have been some um, money awarded to Bush uh, for recruiting and some incentives given to him. Stuff that's all perfectly fine now was not back then, but now that it is fine, the NCAA said, nope, we're not giving you the Heisman Trophy back because it wasn't okay when you did it. And uh, that's the bottom line. So um, I don't I, I, I don't know why, you know, I, I get the monetary benefits were, were, I guess you can say, illegal at the time. But, I mean, if anybody watched the 05 football season, you know Reggie Bush deserved the Heisman. Uh, one of the most, if not the most electric college football player to ever play. Uh, just give the man his trophy. Uh, you know, it's everybody knows he won it. Just give him his trophy. All right, especially now that it's, it's fine to do. Um, now, I did the final piece of NCAA news. I came across this graphic. Uh, that listed the college football programs with the most active players in the NFL. This is just simply uh, an FYI. I thought it was interesting. The top couple schools really aren't surprising. Alabama leads the way with 81 players in the NFL currently. Ohio State is two with 75. Notre Dame three with 61. LSU fourth with 60. Florida and Georgia are tied at 5th with 57. Michigan is 6th with 54. Penn State has 48. Iowa has 46. I thought that was kind of surprising. And then Stanford and Washington both have 44 players in the NFL currently. Now, again, uh, I would have probably guessed, like the Forbes list we talked about in the NFL... I would have probably guessed at least half of these schools. Uh, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Georgia, Florida, uh, Michigan. Uh, I would not have guessed Iowa, Washington, or probably Stanford. I probably would have gotten Notre Dame. But again, on a blind guess, I would have guessed at least half of these schools. I'm surprised Clemson, with the last five, six years of success that they've had pumping NFL talent into the league, I'm surprised that they didn't crack this list. Uh, but the last piece of info we'll talk about in Around the Island deals with the Olympics. The 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo have officially come to an end, and the final medal count was released. In USA, we finished with the most overall medals and the most gold medals, which doesn't happen every Olympics, but we did... Past China on the last day, we finished with 39 gold medals, 41 silver medals, 33 bronze, for a total of 113 medals. China finished second with 88 medals, 38 of them gold, so we beat them by one gold. Third place in the medal count was the Russian Olympic Committee with 71 total medals, which is 16 behind China, who was... Uh, 25 medals behind the United States. So we won going away uh, in total medal count. Uh, 
and a lot of that uh we did we won a lot of medals in swimming we also won a lot of medals in track and field so some of the highlights of the olympics though uh team usa men's basketball of course you recall they lost two of their three exhibition games then they show up in tokyo they lose their first game in round robin to france which snapped a 35 game olympic winning streak and it was their first loss in the olympics since 2004 so they did not get off to a good start but they did rebound and end up winning the gold medal uh, on the back of kevin durant who was just absolutely phenomenal in that uh in the entire olympic run uh this was their fourth consecutive gold medal 16th overall gold medal for team usa men's basketball the next closest country has two gold medals so obviously no surprise we are the best in the world in men's and women's basketball who also women's basketball won gold uh, their victory over japan so congrats to the uh, ladies as well for sweeping uh, basketball gold now drew holiday and chris middleton both play on the milwaukee bucks who if you recall just won the nba title those two hopped on a plane, jetted right over to Japan, didn't play in any of the exhibition games, hopped into the tournament, and they won a gold medal. So, in addition to their NBA title. So, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton made history by becoming the fifth and sixth players to win an NBA title and an Olympic gold medal in the same year. The other four people to do it, Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, Scottie Pippen, and Michael Jordan. So elite company there. Uh, some other Olympic highlights, men's and women's golf. We swept gold as well. On the women's side, Nellie Korda. She won gold in women's golf. And uh, on the men's side, it was Xander Shoffley. Won gold medal, won the gold medal for Team USA. Uh, it was the first gold medal for team usa in men's golf since 1900 so i hadn't won it in a while we got a bronze in 2016 in rio thanks to matt kuchar but uh, xander shoffley was able to pull out the gold victory uh here in tokyo uh women's beach volleyball team usa april ross and alex kleinman they swept every team they faced in route to a gold medal just complete dominance by them and then Team USA Women's Indoor Volleyball also won gold. So we, we swept in, uh, in volleyball on the women's side. And uh, some, some notable performances, uh, of course, in the pool, swimming, men, uh, the men swimming, Caleb Dressel. What a beast, man. He won five gold medals. Uh, on the female side, Katie Ledecky did her thing. I think she won uh, two gold and two more silver I believe uh, she won another four or five medals in the pool. She's just an absolute monster. She's she says she's going to participate uh, in the the um, 2024 Olympic Games, but uh, she'll be kind of older than most of the swimming participants usually are. So we'll see on that. Track and field uh, again, men's we won quite a few medals in track. The ladies really dominated. Uh, the, the, the duo, uh, trio really, Allison Felix, uh, became the winningest women's track and field athlete in team USA history, winning her 11th medal. Uh, her 
Delilah Muhammad and Sydney McLaughlin, those girls really owned it. McLaughlin and Muhammad won uh, gold and silver in the 400-meter hurdles, and then those two were also part of the 4x400-meter uh, relay that won gold uh, with Allison Felix. So uh, just Team USA really showed up and showed out in uh, the Tokyo Olympics, and definitely watching that makes you proud to be an American. It always feels good when we can lead the medal count, especially the gold medals, uh, and to pass China on the last day for gold medals was was pretty special. But um, that's going to wrap up the 49th episode of the Sports Island podcast. Hope you enjoyed that one. It was, it was a long episode. I know it's been a few weeks since we've been on, but uh, continue to try and, and get these episodes out to you to stay up to date on all the latest sports info. So until the next episode, be safe, uh, stay safe, be well, and uh, we'll catch you next time on the Sports Island Podcast.